welcome to Slovo, a podcast of the ATA Slavic Languages Division. I'm Maria Guzenko. I would like to start this episode with a quick note on pronunciation. You might have noticed that I've been saying Slovo the way one might pronounce it in English. Of course, this word is pronounced differently in the various languages that have it. I would love to learn how our podcast name sounds in your language. Feel free to share a transcription or even a recording of the word Slovo in the comments. When it comes to the names of our guests on this podcast, I ask every interviewee how they say their name. Today's guest, Esther Hermida, told me that she pronounces her name differently depending on what language is being spoken. In this interview, I will be using the English pronunciation of Esther's name, with the understanding that in Spanish, her name may sound more like Esther Hermida. Now on with the show. Today, I have with me Esther M. Hermida. Esther has over 26 years of experience as a certified Spanish interpreter in California and federal courts. She has vast experience as a conference interpreter and in television simulcast interpreting. She also provided dialect coaching and script translations for the entertainment industry. Esther has had three on-camera performances as an interpreter for Judge Judy and Dr. Phil. So welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, this sounds like an amazing resume. So I can't wait to learn more about how you joined this industry. So what attracted you to being an interpreter and how did you go about achieving that goal? Well, it's like everybody else that uh, kind of uh, falls into it. Uh, I had a family friend uh, talking about her job. And at that point, I was staying at home with my kids and I asked her about it a little bit more. She gave me a little bit of information but I didn't know a whole lot. In fact, she allowed me to go to medical appointments to cover some assignments that she had with the red clients. And I realized uh, that I didn't know enough. Like most of us who are bilingual, we automatically think that we can do this. And I found myself thinking about how to say words. So I realized that I needed more education. So um, I went to Cal State LA uh, I did a program for 18 months and I tried passing the state examination, the state court exam. I failed several times and then went back to the books, uh, studied some more, um, went, failed again. And usually the Spanish was the toughest one for me because I came to this country when I was 10 years old. So I don't have formal education. I'm self um educated uh, in that respect. I studied quite a bit. So I eventually passed the Spanish portion. I passed the English portion and that allowed me to move to the oral exam. And I eventually passed uh, the state court exam. 10 years later, I uh, passed the federal exam. And again, the test I took, the written test I took about twice, failed by two points, it's always by two points in the Spanish, but eventually I passed and then I took my oral exam and passed the first time. So that makes me very, very proud. That uh, alone um, has opened many doors uh, for me in other areas. Uh, where interpreting is required. Uh, in California, interpreters in, that 
are court certified, work in the private sector, join conferences, uh, community meetings, and a host of other things and opportunities that are offered uh, that you don't find elsewhere, like in the entertainment industry. And that allowed me to do simulcast interpreting early on, actually. So it's a very vast experience, but it it's all thanks to becoming a court interpreter. Wow, yeah, that sounds very inspiring, especially the fact that you didn't give up and you kept trying to pass the exam. I think a lot of us uh, would feel inspired by this story, at least I know I am. Very few people actually go and take a test and pass it the first time. Even people with uh, all kinds of degrees, uh, even right after you finish your master's program, that doesn't mean that you're going to pass that exam unless you prepare. Right, that makes sense. So you mentioned that uh, you were sort of scouted by people from the entertainment industry because you were working as an interpreter. So what are some of the most memorable assignments that you have worked on? The I have worked as a dialect coach. My very first uh, assignment was uh, thanks to a colleague um, who had a contact with an agency. They were looking for Cuban Spanish. And that was um, my very first job with working with Jennifer Gardner, uh, helping her uh, in her TV series, Alias. So we nice. are going back a number of years ago. So uh, because of that, uh, a lot of other things fell into place. And um, my most enjoyable assignment was working with the show uh, Heroes on television. I worked in the second season, the entire second season. I translated the scripts. Um, I worked with a set of twins, supposedly on the screen. And so my job was to make sure their accent in Spanish was exactly the same because these kids were raised in the same household. But the reality was one was from Puerto Rico, the other one was from the Dominican Republic. And wow. most people think <laughs> most people think, oh, they're Caribbean, so they speak the same. No, they don't. So uh, they it was a lot of fun working with them because they were true professionals. Of course, they adopted a Spanish that was kind of a not from here nor there, but they sounded alike. And that was a lot of fun. I spent 10, 12 hours on the set going from the well, very hot desert to freezing weather at night. Um, but I was treated like an, a talent as well, which was a lot of fun because I had my own um, dressing room. I had my own private space uh, wherever I went. And the producer was kind enough that in one of the, the wedding scene, in uh, where chaos happened later, uh, but I was dancing merengue, they were playing merengue, and I'm sitting next to the script supervisor, and uh, I'm dancing merengue, he says, you know how to dance merengue, and I said, of course I do, <laughs> and so he says, why don't you go to wardrobe, uh, change, and get in there, so I have my 15 seconds of fame, I was actually an extra on the show, just because the producer was sweet enough to allow me, the director actually, to allow me to be on the scene that only I can spot myself. Nobody else knows who I am, but I know, it. oh, there's a peak. <laughs> so oh. that was fun. That was pretty memorable. And then uh, besides doing a few uh, shows, uh, 
many years ago when they were being filmed out of Los Angeles, I was privileged enough to participate. I auditioned for and got the um, lie from the red carpet. So that allowed me to interpret for Juliana Rensek. Uh, that I, I did her voice. And that was very, very stressful. Uh, because everything is live. It has to do with entertainment, with fashion, with glamour. And there were four interpreters who were all speaking Spanish. And it was pretty awesome because I, I mean, extremely talented interpreters and we were pretty much in sync. So, um, but that was the most uh, stressful uh, interpreting that I've ever done for television because you need to keep the energy four hours I mean the show itself was two hours long but you have to be on the set like three hours before and you need to maintain that energy throughout they definitely wanted you to have that and so that was challenging it's not like interpreting in court <laughs> so you're you're sort of doing a little bit of acting you need to be excited about what you're doing and and you you need to be you need to sound like if you're happy to be there basically Wow, yeah, sounds like a tough job. So you mentioned that you started sort of by going into some appointments that a friend of yours uh, was working on. So would you say that you progressed from medical to court and then eventually to simulcast? And do you think this is a good progression for an interpreter? Well, let me rephrase that. Do you think this progression from medical to legal to simulcast uh, allows a prospective interpreter to grow and to learn new skills and to boost their career. Absolutely. I'm a firm believer that if you want to grow, there's no stopping you. Just because you're working in the medical field, and by the way, some people are so good in the medical field that they want to stay there. They feel more compassion toward people. They want to help people. It's in a different setting. So it's okay. My goal was always to become a court interpreter uh, because it was more challenging, because I felt comfortable. Uh, uh, I'm very comfortable talking in public, and it's, it's something that I really, really wanted Everything else that has happened has it's been happenstance, but it's also, I understand that I consider it a privilege that I happen to be the one that got called or, and I take it and I run with it. So I just don't stay still. I, I, I use it uh, in my resume. I have a website where you can see all the work that I've done. So is sort of marketing that I do, uh, self-promoting and things like that. So that's beneficial. If you want to grow, I understand I started many, many years ago. Okay. There wasn't a whole lot of training going around. So now more and more interpreters specialize. They go to school, they become, they want to get a master's in medical translations, or they want to be a conference interpreter and so forth. But once you have those skills, they're very transferable. Okay, so in conference interpreting, slightly different because you are summarizing your, uh, you do change certain words where as in court, you cannot do that. You, you need to be faithful. You can't add, you can't take away. You have to maintain the intent of the speaker, even the intonation, even the hesitations that goes into the court interpreting. Whereas 
the conference interpreting, you maintain an even level, you, you can summarize, you can leave out certain adjectives, you know, if the speaker is going too fast, as long as the message is clear, it's quite different, but still, it's interpreting. So right. once you control one area, you can easily go into another. I'm not saying that you become a master of it, but it, you shouldn't be fearful of going into other areas just because it's not the area of expertise. You can always learn that along the way. Wow, that sounds really encouraging. So Esther, you're located in California, and right now we have sort of distressing news coming out uh, of California with the um, new law, AB5. So could you tell us a little bit more about that law and what are California-based translators or interpreters doing to address it? Okay, well, California um, just approved, passed a law, it's called the AB AB5, and the intent of that law was to codify the Dynamex decision. This um, decision was taken by the Supreme Court of California related to wage labor cases, okay? It, it was a class action suit, and um, it was just, they had ABC uh, that they needed to meet. This is what the court decided, that in order for you to become an considered an independent contractor the employer first needs to see you as an employee that's that's a starting point you're an employee now if you're not an employee let me see if you qualify so we have the abc the a is a person is free from the control and direction of the hiring entities in connection with the performance of the work both under the contract for the performance of the work so we, we sort of qualify for that one. We have no control. The, the uh, language service company tells us you go out there and you do your thing. And we do. Um, the B part says the person performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. Uh -oh. That's where we come in, right? That's the, the trouble one for us. And the C, the person is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business. Okay, so we're doing this. We're professionals and that's exactly what we're doing. We're interpreting or translating. The B part is the one that causes problems for us because in before AB5, we were going under the Borello case that establishes what is an independent contractor and we definitely qualify that. The Borello factors are a very, very long list of factors that we uh, needed to abide and we did. But the ABC test uh, actually prevents us from working with language service companies unless we're their employees. Now, mind you, uh, most interpreters work for 10, 15, 20. I met this medical interpreter who works for 40 different language wow. service companies per year. Her main income comes from providing services through a language company. Now, for me, I have direct clients. I'm a S corporation. My company's name is Geolingua. So I've been invoicing language service companies, direct clients, everybody under my corporation. Right. However, that doesn't protect me. I'm still, and according, uh, a corporation is a person. 
remember. And the bill itself prevents us, they are B2B uh, qualifications. There's so many other things that Lorena Gonzalez, the author of the bill, says that we can work under, but we know that we cannot. Okay, and not only are interpreters and translators affected, but 150 professional independent contractors from different fields are affected by this, including musicians, including writers, including uh, performers of any, even the local, uh, the local theater is being affected by this. So this is big and it's affecting our, our field a lot more and we're working on trying to get an exemption uh, basically we're not fighting the law because the intent of the bill is to protect misclassified workers misclassified workers are those who may be deemed employees and we are not in a position to say oh no you're wrong this person is not they're a contractor well if you spend 30 hours or 40 hours working for a single entity in a medical office for instance or at a hospital you may be an employee instead of a misclassified employee we are not arguing that position so basically, we're arguing that as independent contractors and translators, we work for so many language service companies, direct clients. And by the way, we see language service companies as clients. Why do I say that? Because I negotiate. No, I, no, I don't really negotiate. Let me tell you, I give them my rate. <laughs> I give them my fee. And I said, I have a 24-hour cancellation policy. This is my fee for three hours or six hours. This is the way we work in Southern California. And so take it or leave it. Most of them kind of know what the going rate is for somebody with my certification. So they either agree or they may not accept, or they may say, hey, would you do it for this much? And then depending on my uh, relationship with that company, I may take it or not, okay? So I am free to take or leave any assignment offered by an agency, and most interpreters feel that way. That's the way we deal with agencies. They're not really our employers. All we do is get an assignment by email as I'm done, I send an invoice. I never hear back from that agency again. All I want is that check in 30 days, right? So we created a coalition called Coalition of Practicing Translators and Interpreters of California. And it's just a group of interpreters who got together from the different interpreting areas, the medical, the administrative, the conference, every sector conceivable is part of that coalition. But the coalition was done with the intent to mobilize interpreters and translators and to give them the tools to learn how to advocate for our profession, which is exactly what we're doing. We are visiting our lawmakers and telling them, look, you voted for this, but you didn't realize that they were unintended consequences of this law we are being harmed. We are being affected by this because now large companies are pulling out of California. I had a contract personally for a conference that was to be held 
it probably happened already. It was the beginning of the year and this would have been my third year doing that conference. That company pulled out of California, but do you think that conference went away? No, it didn't. They, they're probably bringing interpreters from Vegas or out of state, but definitely not in California. So we got that email, and this is an amazing company, by the way. I love having business with companies who value their interpreters because we are an asset. We are the ones bringing in the money for them. So uh, it, it was always a pleasure for me to work for them, but unfortunately, it was a business decision that they had to make. So we are working as much as we can. Now everybody knows we exist, by the way. One of the problems with us, translators and interpreters, a translator works out of their home. Who knows that they exist, right? Nobody. Uh, they just do their job quietly. While interpreters are always in the background. If they hear your voice, it's probably too loud. Most of the time, you're quietly doing your job. Nobody should really know that you are there. And if they notice you, you're still quiet. So we don't have a voice. Right now, we are using our voice to make sure that everybody knows what we do. We are servicing our community by providing language service to everyone and not just the courts who have their own employees that also contract with interpreters. And by the way, they're excluded. That doesn't apply to them. So we're servicing the legal profession, the medical, the business, everywhere that there is a need for an interpreter, we're there, regardless of who calls us. So being tied down to a company as an employee or being an employee of 10 different companies. The caller may be missing out on an interpreter because a company may not want to say, no, my interpreter is not available and they may not be able to call anybody else. So I'm tied down to 10 different companies, for instance, without necessarily being fully available to the people outside. Right. No, this, this all makes perfect sense. And I've definitely read some coverage of this new law saying that, you know, people, translators and interpreters in the state of California have received some emails from their clients mm -hmm. saying that, sorry, but because of the law, we can't keep you on as a freelancer and we're not going to take you on as an employee. So that's really unfortunate. But does this mm -hmm. law, so, so far, it's, it just affects California. Can it affect translators and interpreters outside California, and how? Absolutely. We have the Democratic candidates who have already expressed their support for AB5 and saying that they can consider doing something like that nationwide. We already know that New Jersey attempted to do it. New York is working on it. Even Arizona right now. Luckily uh, for us, um, well, not so lucky for us, we're, people are watching us and seeing what we're doing. Um, we have a lot of weight on our shoulders because we know that what happens in California is going to be replicated in the rest of the country. And this is really damaging to interpreters. We believe that we should have a choice. However, Interpreters right now should be watching California, should be supporting California interpreters and translators. 
this is a good wake-up call for all of us to get more involved in advocacy for our own profession, for ourselves, and for our businesses. Because, I mean, as an independent contractor, I am a business. I run my business. So we need to really get involved in legislation. We need to visit our local legislators and let them know, hey, you know, I work for you and uh, I live in your district. And by the way, the other day I was interpreting for you in the community meeting and I just wanted to introduce myself, letting you know that we're here for you and that uh, we're an important group of interpreters and translators living in your community, right? So it's called outreach that you need to start doing that right now. It, it took us quite by surprise, actually. I don't wish this upon anybody because I myself have, and I get pretty worked up about this because I have suffered anxiety, um, sleeplessness, uh, stress all over this because it's been seven months of nonstop work, talking to interpreters, encouraging interpreters, social media. I mean, we're on there, every single in interpreter. Uh, Coptic has meetings up and down the state uh, trying to empower interpreters, giving them the tools to go out there and talk to the legislators. Hopefully, uh, one of them will carry a bill for us um, soon uh, where we have that exemption. We're working really hard on that. Uh, basically, uh, we're working on the court of public opinion. The regular News media is not really giving us a lot of coverage, but we have plenty of coverage in the papers and uh, articles. People, a few interpreters have been recorded on and interviewed, which I'm very proud of. And this they've done on their own. Uh, interpreters are mobilizing. And I really encourage every single interpreter and translator out there, don't just rely on our local associations or our national associations. In fact, they came in a little bit later. By the time they came in, we're already on it. So don't just wait for the cavalry. You are it. You're the, the front line of defense to our profession. And that's the way we got to keep it here is it's this is what we do this is what we love this is what we want to keep and we shouldn't allow anybody to dictate how to run our business and it's we're doing an honorable thing it's not just like a profession that people can think of oh i'm a, i'm an architect or i'm the, we're actually impacting lives and helping people understand and we're, we're part of the language access. So, but people need to know that. We're the most important thing in California, we're mostly minorities and we're mostly women. Okay. Right. We're a business women. We are, we're running the show here in California is affecting the way we earn our living. And to me, that is the ultimate insult when you claim to be protecting minorities, when you claim to be protecting people, and you are harming the people who help you protect those people. So yeah. I'm sorry, I get really uh, emotional over this because... Oh, yeah. no, that makes perfect sense. Um, I believe, yeah, the initial in intent was to prevent um, people from being misclassified as freelancers or independent contractors as opposed to employees. But I, as you said, perhaps 
translation, interpreting, and some other creative professions, it sounds like they weren't really taken into consideration. And um, I'm not aware of many full-time in-house translation or interpreting positions in the United States, at least. So this is not how this industry works, as far as I know. Exactly. They are in houses. We're, our position is we do not object to employment, of course. Google, Amazon, I'm sure they have their own in-house translators uh, who work with contractors because they, they don't staff everybody. Uh, they just subcontract whenever they have major things to do. But it's okay if you want to be an employee, but it should be a decision that you can make based on your family needs and where do you want to go with your profession. And you are correct. The intent of the law was not to really harm us. It was to protect misclassified employees. So saying that, we are educating our legislators, telling them what of course they don't know so they don't even know that there's usually an interpreter interpreting in the background when they have their meetings because i've, I've actually interpreted interpreted for the la county board of supervisors for 10 years they don't know they know that there's an interpreter that does that but they didn't even know we're there for them as well so education is the most important part educating the public knowing that we are there and one of the things that interpreters can do that uh, it has been very beneficial to some interpreters is volunteer as interpreters or translators. Very few interpreters do that because we're, you know, especially when you're self-employed and you're a solopreneur, right? So you're constantly hustling. Um, but if you volunteer your time in your community, People will come to the to the rescue. They will come to support you. We have one such example of Madeline Rios who volunteers an enormous amount of time to certain non um, nonprofit organizations, and they came to her rescue. Even though a lot of them are union members themselves, they wrote a letter in support of our position. So it was significant because of all the uh, hours that she's donated to the community, they came to help her as well. Very nice. Well, thank you so much, Esther, for spending this time and talking to us on this podcast. Thank you so much for the time you're giving me. And I apologize for getting emotional, but this is very uh, dear to my heart. And um, this is what I'm... I want to leave this beautiful profession the same way I found it. Perfect. Thank you for tuning in to Slovo, a podcast of the ATA Slavic Languages Division. We hope you follow us on your favorite streaming platform. Until next time, I'm Maria Guzenko.